What's up, everyone? Welcome into the Round Six Podcast. We are your hosts, Keaton Cordell and Jake Smith, coming to you from Fort Worth, Texas and Denver, Colorado. Last week was about as good of a week for the UFC as UFC fans could hope for. UFC 280 was an absolute banger of a card from Abu Dhabi. We saw some great fights. The last three fights on the main card were three of the most action-packed, fun fights that I've watched in a long time. Obviously, those last three fights started with Piotr Jan versus Sean O'Malley. Then we had TJ Dillashaw versus the champ Aljamain Sterling. And the banger headliner of the card, Islam Mahachev and Charles Oliveira. I could not look away from my TV for so much as a minute on Saturday, Jake. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed all of those fights, especially the Yon and O'Malley fight. That was one of the most intense fights that I've watched in a while, mm-hmm. especially because we had a couple bets riding on that. And it unfortunately didn't go our way, but... How can you be mad about any of that when you have a fight that produces at the level that that fight did? Unfortunately, in the next fight, TJ Dillashaw obviously came out with a bit of an injury, and uh, that really showed itself early and showed itself often. And then Charles Oliveira and Islam Mahachev was just a great fight, great story there for both of those fighters. But um, I know there's kind of a lot of people that still are unsure about Islam. I really like him. I think he belongs at the top of that division, and I'll be interested to see where he goes moving forward. But, Jake, I'm curious to get your thoughts on UFC 280. What did you see on that card on Saturday that stuck out, st- stood out to you? Mm-hmm. What fights did you like the most? And, and kind of what are your thoughts wrapping up a great UFC 280 fight week? Yeah, I mean, definitely a lot of things. Um, I don't know who doesn't think Islam is the top of the division now because, I mean, Charles took out everybody. And Islam, I've never seen a squeeze so strong as what Islam put on Charles. Technically speaking, from a jiu-jitsu standpoint, or I guess Sambo for him, that wasn't even the best like head and arm choke you can get. It didn't even look like his shoulder was in the neck at all. It just looked like a pure squeeze, like Charles' head was going to explode like a watermelon. Like, uh, that, I mean, that was crazy. And he, he showed it on the feet. He got to the ground. He's the only person to follow Charles to the ground, and he showed he's better. So, I mean, Islam is the real deal there. And then... TJ fight, in my opinion, that was just stupid. TJ had one fight on his comeback and got a title fight from that. I think he could have easily pulled out of this fight and still had all the hype in the world to get another title shot. Maybe have one comeback fight if he pulled out, but he would have gotten a title shot eventually. Now at 36 years old, he's about to have another year layoff because of the shoulder dislocations, which he said have been happening since April. Now he's out for a year and... I don't think he's going to get another shot. That was his chance. Like, he lost it. So that was just stupid in my opinion. Moving down the card, you can see what I think about the the Peter Yan and Sugar Sean fight. A lot of people think Yan won that fight. A lot of a lot of fighters think he won the fight. A lot of I guess other UFC media think he won the fight. There's there's no way in hell in my opinion 
If you want to look at the top criteria, it's damage. Damage is the number one criteria. Peter Yanni had all those takedowns. He had a little bit of control time. I think he had maybe over a round of control time. I didn't, I didn't really see it as control time. He had a whole minute in the first round where Sean is throwing up submissions left and right the whole time. That's not really control. And then besides that, Sean got up every single time Peter took him down. Like there was, there was nothing that he was doing on the ground. He didn't get any damage. And, and if you just, if you look at the two of them at the end of the fight, Sean won that fight. If you look at their two faces and you had to pick which one of these guys won the fight, Sean won that fight every single time. So I, I think Sean's the real deal. He absolutely proved whether he won or lost that he belongs at the very top of the division. And as for Peter Yan, I just, I hope he comes back. I saw that he's looking elsewhere. Now he's looking to do something else because of what's happened. That one illegal knee changed the whole course of his career. Basically he would have, Never had to fight Aljo again. He would have proved... It's just crazy. He would have never fought Aljo again. He would have just kept sailing through the division as the champ. And now he's on a two or three fight losing skid. It it sucks. Like that, it truly sucks for him. For somebody that everybody thought was like the juggernaut of the division. The boogeyman of the division. Um, Pretty much the only other thing I really have to talk about on that card was... uh, the fight right before that one, I think, was truthfully the best fight of the night. I know they gave it to Peter Yan and Sean O'Malley, but Gamrot and Benil, I mean, come on. For starters, we called that. Did we not call Benil Dariush? Did I not he say Benil is the fucking real deal? I mean, Benil's the real deal. He almost got that finish in round three. That was a back-and-forth fight. Gamrot looked amazing. Like, nothing to discredit Gamrot. Benil's just the real deal. What did you think about that one? Yeah, I completely agree. And we did call that. I think Benil is one of those guys, similar to Bilal Muhammad, but not in the same right. I think Benil is better than Bilal Muhammad, but they're both very similar as far as their styles go. And the fact that people, I think, and the betting lines often reflect this, uh, in my opinion, I don't think people put a lot of respect on those guys' names because of the way that they fight, right? So, you know, you kind of said it last week, but they're both kind of lay and pray fighters. Mm-hmm. Bilal, I definitely feel that way about, and I understand why the betting lines would not reflect uh, Bilal as a heavy favorite just out of the nature of his style. But Benil has proved time and time again that he's not a lay and pray fighter. Benil goes out there, he presses the action, he looks for the finish, and, and he's just got great wrestling, which in turn improves the striking. And we saw that this week. He landed some great strikes. Uh, the best uh, strike that landed in that entire fight was a knockdown by Benil in the third round. And I really don't know how Gamrock got up from that. When he landed that strike, I. I, I was like, oh, fight's done. And then all of a sudden, Gamrock pops right back up. And, and it just kind of lends itself to the durability of Matoush Gamrock. But Benil's the real deal. I think he um, absolutely conducts himself with character. He's just a great guy, uh, as it would seem. And I think he said exactly what I needed to say after that fight. Because it's the story of his career. He He got on the mic and he said... I don't care how many fights I have to win. I don't care what I have to do. I will get this title one day. And he really shows that in the way that he fights. He doesn't cherry pick fights. He's not going to sit back and wait for a year, a year and a half to try to get the fight that he wants or try to get a title shot. I truly think Benil Dariush believes that he is one of the best fighters in that division. He belongs in the top five, if not at the top. And he will literally do whatever it takes to get himself a title shot. And then he's going to go out there and prove it. So, Benil Dariush's stock went up a lot in my book. He, I was already pretty high on him, um, but that fight really separated him 
um, from the likes of a lot of fighters in the top 10 for me, especially when you start talking about who deserves title shots within the next year, two years. Um, so I really like that fight a lot. But I've really been looking forward to going back and forth with you about this Sean O'Malley and Piotr Jan fight for like the last week. Uh, both of us are on different sides of the fence on that one. Obviously, like you said, with the wig, uh, there's definitely no question as to where you stand on it. And I'll preface what I'm about to say with this. That fight was a razor thin fight. It could have absolutely gone either way. It's entirely dependent on who the judges are that night, how they're feeling and you know what they see, because obviously judging cage side is a very difficult task they're seeing a much different fight than what we see uh, on the pay-per-view on TV. So th there's no knock on the judges there, even though I think judges in the UFC definitely could be better, but I don't think that was the case last Saturday. But here's my opinion. Sean O'Malley absolutely belongs at the top of that division. He proved that without a shadow of a doubt. No argument there. I'm not mad that Sean O'Malley won. I love Sean O'Malley just like everyone else does, but... When I watched that fight, I agree with you in saying damage is one of the more important aspects when it comes to judging a fight. However, when you look at the times that both fighters were hurt throughout the course of that fight, I think Piotr Jan had Sean more hurt than Sean had Jan. Yes, when you look at the big moments, Sean had Piotr hurt twice. One of those, he was legitimately hurt. It was towards the beginning of the fight. Mm -hmm. The second one was the knee. I don't think Jan was that, that, that hurt off of the knee, even though the damage would show it. I also think that you brought up a, a good point about damage being, you know, one of the, the billing names on the cards when it comes to how you judge a fight. However, I think that judging looks a whole lot different and the damage looks a whole lot different were Sean's knee to not split open Jan's head. So it did, not saying that that didn't happen because it did, but I think the damage on Piotr looked a lot worse than it was because of the cut, and the cut never came into play in the fight in terms of are we looking at it to stop the fight? Does it look like it's getting in the way? So that's my opinion on the striking aspect of it. I also think uh, that I would disagree with you in saying that, that Jan had uh, a relatively insignificant amount of control time because he had almost six minutes in a three-round fight he spent over a third of that fight on top of Jan, or excuse me, on top of Sean. So even though he didn't necessarily do a lot with that, I do think it speaks to uh, the prowess that Piotr Jan has in taking his game wherever he wants to take it. I think that the only category statistically that Sugar uh, outweighed Piotr Jan was in significant strikes. Yes, that's important. I'm not discounting that whatsoever. But I think when you look at um, kind of the total of all of these aspects, both statistically and otherwise, I just don't see how Piotr Jan doesn't win that fight. I, again, I still think it's razor thin. I didn't have Piotr winning every single round. I had Piotr winning two out of three. Um, but I, I just don't think you can discount the wrestling from Jan. He took him down basically at will. Uh, the, the majority of his takedown attempts did end up coming to fruition. Um, he had some great sweeps. Uh, you know, I, I just think... When you look at who, um, as a whole, put together a better fight in that fight, I think it was Piotr Jan. But again, not discrediting anything that Sean O'Malley did. I think he absolutely belongs at the top of that division. That's just my opinion. I think Jan won that fight, but either way we move on. I'm a huge Piotr Jan fan, so I hope he doesn't leave the UFC also. 
Um, but, but we'll see. I mean, I, I totally understand him kind of feeling like the UFC doesn't have his back. So, and I know you saw some of those reports. So what do you think about that? Do you think Jan stays in the UFC yeah. or do you think he moves on? Yeah, he's definitely going to stay. I mean, could be a money grab. He, it's also a couple of days off of a loss. I mean, it's an emotional time. It's a super shitty time. He just got, he just lost to Sean O'Malley. I mean, that, yeah. that sucks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, being the number one guy in the division, losing to the little poodle with the pink hair. Like, yeah, I mean, that sucks. But I, I, I think he'll come back, man. I mean, he's just, he's gotten some shitty luck. And it's, what really sucks is precedent has shown that he should have won this fight. If you want to talk yeah. about damage versus control, the biggest fight I look at is TJ Dillashaw versus Corey Sandhagen. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about who looks like they won that fight, Corey Sandhagen. He didn't have a scratch on him. TJ Dillashaw, on the other hand, tore everything in his knee, and his face looked like it was about to explode. Like he, he looked like he just went through a train wreck, and he got the hand because control. So it sucks, but I, I still do think Sean danced around the outside of the or outside of the cage pretty good to land his strikes. I don't think Peter was landing that significant of stuff. I do think Sean also landed a takedown. Which was not credited to him. You got that. That's two. That's yep. two. No, I that's agree with that. Time. I agree. I saw two knees hit the ground. That's two. Yep. Whatever, yeah, Sean took the back whatever, too, if I remember right. But whatever, it's time to move on. In my opinion, Sean yep. won. We'll see what happens next. Hopefully, he gets Aljo. But it's looking like Cejudo gets Aljo, which I am not against whatsoever. I we're just gonna have to see what happens. Nothing. Nothing set in stone anywhere yet. That division is as wide open as it gets. I want to see Cheeto fight Sean again. I think that is personally the fight to make. But I know Cheeto and Corey is also up there. That division someone to talk about at another time. Uh, we can do yep. a whole episode on that division. Yeah, I completely agree. And let's move on to the top of the card. So this is one that you called. I can't remember if it was on an episode, but you absolutely mentioned this to me when we were uh, making our picks for last week's card. But... We were kind of wrestling, going back and forth between Oliveira and Mahachev on who we should take. Both of us felt extremely confident in Charles Oliveira and felt like we just couldn't bet against him for a fourth time because ultimately, and I truly believe this, if we had bet against Oliveira, Oliveira would have won. So it is what it is there. Yeah, but you, call, you called it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You called it, though, in saying, here's the thing. We have to be realistic about if we don't take Islam's line at minus 190 when it closed, we're never going to see an Islam minus 190 line again. So moving forward and trying to bet Islam one way or the other, do you think like for the rest of his reign as champ, we're going to have to take props on Islam? Like I, I don't, I really don't think we're going to see a line or a money line for Islam Mahachev that's south of like minus 600 anymore. So uh, I'm interested to see how that is moving forward. Maybe in this next fight against Volkanovski, because Volkanovski is also a champ. But I, I don't think they're going to give Volk any respect. So I'm personally probably going to take Volk, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure he opened up at a three or four to one dog. Yeah, to start. Huh? And I mean, let me look at the UFC rankings at least for the lightweight division. I don't, I don't know anybody that would come within. That <laughs> where Islam would not be a minus. Oi, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be hefty. Like, there's not going to be anyone else in that lightweight division that they're not going to put Islam. Like, he's I mean, going to be a five to one favorite, if not more. No matter he's what. Fought some of the heavy wrestlers like Drew Dober, and he made it look easy. 
So I, I really don't know. I think, truthfully, I mean, but he would have to stay on the feet. I think his hardest test could possibly be Fazeev. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, the only thing I would say about that, though, is Fazeev has uh, got some of the best Muay Thai I've ever seen. Obviously, he's a, a trainer or a, a coach and a fighter at Tiger Muay Thai, one of our favorite gyms in Thailand. But I think Fazeev would have to come a long way in terms of the wrestling defense. I don't necessarily think his wrestling defense is bad, but it's on a well, whole new level with Mahachev. So I, I just, I don't know. I, I really don't know anyone in that division that that Sambo style uh, that Khabib kind of made popular, that Islam does a so, really great job of mimicking, would have a hard time against. So that is another reason as to why I did say Fazeev, however. I'm pretty sure outside of Kamaru Usman, he might have the second best takedown defense in the UFC. Yes, but he also hasn't fought someone with the level of wrestling. Very true. Yeah, he's sitting at a 92% takedown defense. Which is I mean, incredible. He's, he's fought the, the likes of RDA. And I stopped there. So Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And RDA, <laughs> yeah. RDA's not heavy wrestling pressure. He's going to uh, yeah. try to get you on the ground by whatever means possible. Um but but yeah, I just I think it's a whole other ball game. There's levels to the game. People say it all the time. But I think in this particular case, it's very very true. Um, even though I would love to see that fight if Fazeev gets a couple more fights and kind of uh, elevates his status in the lightweight division. But man, I think Islam is poised to go on a tear here, and, and I'm not mad about it at all. I think Islam belongs to the to to uh, you know the top of the division there, but. Man, I, I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but I don't think we see Islam lose for quite a while. Unless it's just, like, complete coincidence and a fluke. But, man, that guy's good. And, and it's that style. Like, it's the it's the wrist grips. It's the Dagestani mermaid. Like, it's it's everything, uh, every aspect of that style when, when one of those guys that's proficient gets you on the ground. Like, they just make it to where your life sucks and you can't get up. And even if you can get up, they're going to put you on your ass again, and they're going to make it to where you don't want to get up. You just want to get out of there. And, and I think you, I think you brought up a good point too, um, with the squeeze that Islam put on Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira tapped fast, and I, I don't really say that funny. to say that Charles tapped because he was he was out, he had quit. It wasn't that at all. I think he felt the sheer pressure that was closing in on him, and and you just have to tap to that. Like, mm -hmm. I think you just you know what's coming next if you don't. So to, to make Charles head. tap that fast is wild. Well, when it's around your head like that, it's you're not holding out for the choke. Like your jaw's gonna explode. Like right. literally, you will pop the mandible right off your skull. Basically, like it's yeah, it's, it's a different kind. Of, it's not a choke anymore. It's just a a pain squeeze it's just you're just getting crushed at that point. yeah yeah absolutely so fun card love talking about it but i think it's time to turn our gaze towards this week's card uh this week we've got calvin cater and arnold allen uh on the marquee so i'm really high on arnold allen i think he brings a lot to the table mm -hmm. and i think this is another one of those cards that it's not a lot of fights that you look at and you're just like oh my gosh this is the most you know incredible um you know, display of matchmaking that I've ever seen. Not the best fights, not the biggest names, but I'm really excited for this weekend because I think it's going to be a lot of fun fights. And I think that 
um, it could produce some favorable outcomes from a betting standpoint. But without further ado, let's start throwing some picks out there. So we'll, as we always do, start with our picks of the week. So leading off our picks of the week, how could you be mad about this? We've got Chase Hooper in a double chance by knockout or submission, minus 110. Chase Hooper's one of those guys that I've liked for a long time, even though he hasn't always produced. But I think he's finally getting the experience under his belt that he needs. He's a super young fighter. And I think we're starting to kind of see him catch stride a little bit. Um, So for that reason, I really like this pick. He's a huge submission threat. The hands are starting to back up what he's got on the ground because of how good he is on the ground. And how can you not like Chase Hooper, right? He's the he's a younger Sean O'Malley without all the tattoos and without the same striking acumen. But I love Chase Hooper all around. I love him as a person. I love him as a fighter. And I think we're really starting to see him come into his own. So for that reason, I love this pick. Absolutely hands down. Personally, I like the comparison to Ben Askren a little more, but whatever. Sean O'Malley <laughs> yeah. works too. <laughs> I just uh, think he, he's got he's got the fro and no tattoos. That's that's uh-huh. all I'm looking at. Moving on to the next one on our slate, we're going to do the Andre Arlovsky versus Dilema fight. We're taking under two and a half at dog money somehow. This is a heavyweight fight, so for starters, you're always looking for a finish in a heavyweight fight. Normally in round one, but I mean, we'll take two and a half at dog line for sure. Arlovsky, for starters, is, I mean, the man doesn't age. Like, he, he just doesn't age. How old is he? He is 43 years old on a four fight win streak against all killers. Jake Collier, Jared Bandera, Carlos Felipe, and Chase Sherman. His only loss being to Tom Aspinall in the last several years. And Aspinall's top of the top right now. And then his opponent, DeLima, is just a finisher. 19 wins, 14 by knockout, 2 by submission. He doesn't really go to a decision. So, whether the Pitbull somehow pulls this off again, or age starts to show and Dilema comes out hot and we get to see a knockout early. I don't see this fight going over two and a half. So we're taking at plus 115 the under in this fight. Yeah, and I, I love taking heavyweights at uh, a heavyweight under. There's there's almost nothing better for me. And at dog money, okay. how can you not? Moving on, we've got Phil Haas by knockout, TKO, or DQ. That's at plus 175. I love everything I've seen out of blonde Phil Haas lately. I think. Uh, the last time we saw him out, he just absolutely boat raced Duran Wynn. Um, it was never a contest. Phil Haas was in control of that fight the entire time. He looked about as good as I've ever seen him. And were it not for Duran Wynn's toughness, he would have absolutely got a finish uh, with the striking in that fight. So I don't know how you can't ride the hot hand there with Phil Haas against Roman Delizze. I think he stands a lot to gain from winning that fight in a decisive fashion. So especially at that plus 175 line, I love Phil Haas in this spot. Yeah, and then moving on, we're going to the main event for this one. We're taking Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen under four and a half at plus 120. Um, We've taken several of these main events at the under four and a half, and I believe the only one that didn't hit was the Mackenzie Dern fight. And that one got close a couple times, but besides that, we've been riding pretty hot on these under four and a halfs when it does give you four and a half to basically go the distance or finish. And between these two guys, I think everyone in the division knows that someone needs to do something big to get a title shot. Like this division is just so wrapped up. Like there's a reason Volkanovski is moving up to 155. There's no contenders right now. Nobody's making a statement. Nobody's doing anything. 
Both of these guys are right up there. A lot of people believe Cater had the uh, win against Josh Emmett. A lot of people believe he didn't have the win against Josh Emmett. So he needs something else to catapult him into that big contender spot. And then Arnold Allen is just I mean, he's, he's amazing. He just has not gotten the amount of opportunities that he needs. He's, I'm fairly certain, undefeated in the UFC. Yeah, he's undefeated in the UFC, but he just hasn't fought that often. So this is his time to come out hot. I think both of them realize that finish gets you a title shot more than likely. So someone's getting knocked out. Someone's getting submitted. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I love Arnold Allen. The, the last time we saw him out was against Dan Hooker back in March on the first London card of this year. It was the absolute, without question, best betting weekend I've ever had since I started being a UFC fan several years ago. I was in Vegas at a bachelor party with 15 of my really good friends, and I pitched a complete shutout. Uh, my picks went like 12-0, and 0, and my bets were like 18-1 and 1 or 18-2. and 2. I was just on a tear that weekend, so... I think uh, a little bit of bias there for me on Arnold Allen, but I love him a lot. I think he stands a lot to gain from winning this fight as well. And then lastly, we've got Josh Frem, Moneyline, minus 150. So this is one that you brought up recently. I don't know hardly anything about Josh Frem. Uh, it's my understanding that he was a former, is a former LFA champion, uh, which is, is really encouraging for his uh, ability coming into the UFC. But going up against Treshawn Gore, obviously a lot of people will be familiar with that name from Trajan's role on the most recent season of The Ultimate Fighter. Personally, I'm looking at Trajan Gore in this fight as the reason we're betting uh, Frem's money line. I know you know a lot more about him than I do, but I think Trajan Gore um, oftentimes will gas himself trying to pursue a knockout um, because I think that's really his strength and he knows that. So um, I think Trajan gasses himself pretty quick looking for a knockout and Frem takes over the rest of the fight. But Jake, if you want to kind of give us some background on Frem, I know you know a little bit more about him than I do. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he fights out here in Denver. He's a Factory X guy. The guys out of that gym are just second to none. That is one of the best gyms out here. They are so good when it comes to MMA. We should have gotten to see Brandon Roy Val the other week fight. That would have been a great showing for the gym. But watching Josh fight in the LFA, I mean – Looking at the LFA, they loved him. He had four straight main events. Uh, he did lose one to Gregory Rodriguez, who did end up making it to the UFC as well. We just saw him RoboCop not too long ago, so it's not like that's a bad loss. And that's his only knockout loss in his career, Besides, and that's the way Treshawn's going to win. Besides that, the man's never been put away. He's quite a finisher and much bigger than Treshawn as well. Like This guy, I've seen him when I used to work at a sports bar in downtown. I saw him a couple times. He once came in. I was really watching his LFA fight on my phone. And then two <laughs> hours later, him and all the Factory X guys were sitting at the bar. I walked up I'm like, man, I just saw you fight. But, I mean, he is he is huge. He is absolutely huge. So, I I don't think Treshawn's going to have anything for him. Yeah, six foot four weighs as much as I do. He's massive. That's so, a big dude. Yeah, big, big dude, dude, I think. And the fact that he's a minus 150 right now, I think – Treshawn is the one with all the hype. He's the one off the Ultimate Fighter. This guy's an LFA fighter, and Vegas has him as a minus 150. You know people are betting Treshawn Gore. I, I think he should be much more inflated than he is. Yeah, yeah, I love that pick, and I think you bring up a lot of good points there. So let's move on from picks of the week. We're going to go into our hammer of the week. Jake, you were uh, the one that called this one. I think we both absolutely love this pick. 
But without further ado, Jake, you're the Hebrew. Let's see the hammer. Who you got? Arnold Allen Moneyline. I think this guy is not getting any of the respect that he deserves. He is a absolute dog in this division. He just he literally just he gets hurt or he doesn't get the fights. He fights out of TriStar. He's got some of the best coaches you can imagine. And he's another one of those hometown guys like Leon Edwards that he wants to prove you can stay in your country and win something big. He's going to prove, not gonna, I should never say that. Volkanovski is my guy. But he is going to try to prove that you can stay in your home country in England. You don't have to go to America. You don't have to go to Thailand. You don't have to go to Brazil. You don't have to go to these massive whatevers. Yes, he's a TriStar guy, but he does all this work with Faraz Zahabi through Zoom for the most part. He will send him his sessions and have him analyze it and send it back. But he's getting all of his training out there in England. But I think Arnold Allen is the man. I, I think Calvin Cater has shown that he's a great fighter, but I think Arnold Allen is the man. Like, I, I don't think there's much else to say about that. Calvin Cater can do it. He's a great boxer. We've seen him get outboxed by Max Holloway. We've seen him get put away by other fighters. It's just Arnold Allen. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. And like I said, it's it's a little bit of recency bias for me, but not very much because you have to respect and you have to love what Arnold Allen does every single time we see him in the octagon. The guy's, I think, only got one loss his entire career. I mean, he's an absolute savage. So I love this pick, especially at minus 115. Tons of value there on Arnold Allen's line. But let's keep moving forward. So our next pick, y'all know it, y'all love it, we love it too. It's the dog of the week. This is one of my favorite dogs of the week we've had in a while for a lot of reasons, partially because Jun Yong Park's name in the octagon or his, his nickname is the Iron Turtle. When you got a guy across from you in the octagon whose nickname is the Iron Turtle, you know you're going to lose. That's a given. So we're taking Jun Yong Park's uh, by decision at plus 130. I love this pick a lot. I'm super high on him. I love everything that we've seen out of him in his recent fights. And you got to love him in this spot, too. I think he stands a lot to gain fighting a guy, or a lot to gain from a, from a decision standpoint for us as far as the betting goes mm-hmm. because uh, his opponent has never been put away in the UFC, which speaks volumes about this bet. So at plus 130, I think you've just absolutely got to smash this line. Yeah, for sure. No, I love this pick. The what did you say his nickname was? The Iron Turtle? The Iron Turtle. Uh, oh, I mean, that's amazing. That, that's such a good nickname. That's you know, if, 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 if you and I are standing across from each other in the octagon and we're about to fight and your nickname's the Iron Turtle, like, I might as well just walk out. Like, it, the night's over. That puts fear into your opponent. It's the scariest thing I can think of, right? Uh, it's up there with the, the best nicknames we've ever had in the UFC. So that's our dog of the week. And then moving on, one of the heaviest paying parlays, if not actually... Let me walk that back. This is, without question, the heaviest paying parlay that we have ever had in the history of the Round 6 podcast. So I'm going to go ahead and throw it up on screen, and we'll kind of walk through it a little bit. But if you take this parlay, it pays plus 433. That's massive. I love this this parlay. And kind of like you've said a lot on this show, Jake, when we bet rounds, oftentimes those go in our favor. Mm -hmm. This parlay is composed of... Uh, all three round bets, which I think is uh, something that bodes well for us. We've got an under on there, which bodes well for us because we've been really hot on those. But I'll get us started here. First leg of the parlay, Max Griffin versus Tim Means, under two and a half. 
Max Griffin is a scary fighter. I think he brings a lot to the table. He's got big knockout power. He's pretty well-rounded. And then Tim Means is just one of those guys that's sneaky good. Like, Mm -hmm. it feels like every time you see Tim Means in the octagon, he's going out there. And he's, yeah, he's the dirty bird. He's getting a win against a guy that you never thought he should get a win against. Mm -hmm. And in this fight in particular, the betting line reflects that. Um, So we've got Tim Means in here. and I think he's probably a lot of the reason we took the under in this fight too. It's not just Max Griffin, the heavy favorite that we're relying yeah. on getting a finish here. So I think that's a great leg of this parlay. I mean, the man's got 45 fights in his career. He, he He's a fighter. He's a fighter through yeah. and through. Yep, absolutely. And in the next line of the parlay, we've got Dustin Jacoby and Khalil Roundtree. Does not start round three. I love this bet a lot because Dustin Jacoby is just a savage. And Khalil Roundtree is probably one of the scariest guys in the UFC for me, trains out in Thailand. He He's all in on the Muay Thai way of life, which I love. And for that reason, I think this fight really doesn't start round three. I think Jacoby either gets a finish over Roundtree or Roundtree comes out and absolutely starches him using some of the crazy techniques that we've seen him employ in the octagon in recent years. So I love this fight. I think it's going to be a lot of fun either way, but I'm really confident that this does not start round three. And then last, we've got Jared Vandera versus uh, Waldo uh, Costa. Um, this one we're betting to not go the distance. Personally, the reason I like this bet, and, and I'll get your uh, take on this one here in a second, um, but I don't think Jared Vandera has what it takes to be the next great thing in the UFC heavyweight division. I don't think there's anyone out there that's necessarily saying that, but it feels like a lot of times if Jared Vandera goes out there and he's forced to strike and doesn't have to wrestle and use a lot of top pressure – we see him get knocked out and lose a lot of those fights. So for me, mm-hmm. I think that's a huge pick there. And even if you're not super confident in any of these picks, for whatever reason, it plays pays plus 443. So you might as well put five bucks on it. And if it wins, you just made however much money you just made. But it's going to be a lot. Not to mention on that last one to not go the distance, it's another heavyweight fight. Like that's, to me, all you really got to say about it is, it's another heavyweight fight. Someone usually is getting knocked out. I understand there's a lot of, if it does, if it gets out of the first round, it's probably not. But like you said, Vandera is not one of those guys that's going to make a, a big run in this heavyweight division. On the other side, Acosta might be. He just might be. He's coming off of a knockout in Dana White's contender series earlier this year, back in August. So this is his first UFC fight. He's looking to make a statement. He's coming to get another knockout. I think he's going to easily get the finish. He's 7-0. and um, Massive heavyweight. He's one of those guys who has to cut down to the 265. I, I, I think this guy's coming out for an easy knockout. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with absolutely every single bit of that. Mm-hmm. So I really like a lot of our picks this week. I know we say that every week, and obviously we're a little bit biased because we're the ones that make the picks. But it's significantly more difficult to find good picks and to put together a great slate on weeks like this where there's not necessarily a ton of huge names. Uh, you and I spend a lot of time before we put these picks out doing our research. And uh, shout out to the the homies over at ShareDog for that. We love all the stuff that y'all have on every UFC fighter, and we couldn't do it without them. Um, but I, I like these picks. I'm, as, as I do every week, I'm going to take every single one of them, and, I, and I'm going to ride with the pod. So if you're not one of those people, you can take however many picks you want. But as always, bet with round six. I think we always have a good time, and we've made a you know a healthy chunk of money since we started this thing. So it's at least worth giving us a little bit of faith, and uh, you know, seeing where it goes from there. I don't know about you, Jake, but I love all the picks that we put out. 
Uh, I, th- I think this is a good week. I'm feeling good about this week. I know I say that every week just like you, but I'm feeling good about this week. We put some good research in. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So uh, without further ado, I think that just about wraps us up here on the Round 6 podcast. If you're not already, go subscribe to the Instagram at Round6Pod. If you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, go subscribe. Remember, we are on Spotify now. We are completely caught up. Every single episode that we have posted is now on Spotify. So no matter what platform you prefer, if you like watching the video, go over to YouTube. If you want to just listen, go over to Spotify. Um, We've got a lot of stuff coming out that I'm super excited about in the coming months. Uh, Stick around for a potential Black Friday merch drop. Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be a crazy end of the 2022 year. So um, as always, ride with the Round 6 podcast. Take our bets. Send them in if you get a big win but that's all about about all i've got jake you have anything else you want to say nah sugar shot baby can't be mad about it number one bantamweight in the world sean o'malley never thought i was going to say that going into last week crazy yeah but I love, it. I love it so i don't think i ever thought that was going to happen i truthfully don't like yes he's got the hype he's the hype train i don't think i ever actually thought He'd beat the number one contender and earn his way to a real title shot. Like I, I, I thought it'd be more given than, than what's actually happening now. Yeah, I know it's wild. It's absolutely wild. I kind of liken it to Derek Lewis knocking, or excuse me, Ty Tuivasa knocking out Derek Lewis, and no one being prepared to say that Ty Tuivasa is now the number one heavyweight in the world. I was not prepared to say that Sean O'Malley is exactly. going to be the number one bantamweight in the world. It's it's crazy stuff we're seeing in the UFC right now. And that's all the more reason to be a fan. So if you're not watching the UFC, start watching the UFC. But that was another edition of the Round 6 podcast. Can't wait to see what goes on for us this Saturday in the UFC. We've got Calvin Cater versus Arnold Allen headlining the card. But until next week, y'all have a good one. We will see y'all next Friday.